Hey, uh, it is so good to be with you, and it's a privilege, and it's an honor uh, to, to be here, and I'm just excited. I think God has something uh, to share with you this morning, and so I hope that we all have our hearts open because we all uh, can respond to the, to the message that I feel like he's laid on my heart this morning. Um, and first of all, I just want to say I love your church. I love uh, the Sock Center part of your church. I just love it. I, I, it's amazing to me. I was in Sock Center uh, back in November, had a chance to share, and I'm just blown away by your heart for the nations. And just, you guys are awesome. You have something really good here. So hang on to it and give your all to, give your all to it because I think you just have something really great. So um, just by way of introduction, I want to tell you just a little bit about myself and my family. Um, it's just almost to the day, it's 21 years ago, uh, that I went to China on my first trip, my first trip to China. We went on a spring, spring break trip with North Central University. And I don't think I realized at the time, and my, my, my wife went with me the very next year on her first trip to China, but I don't think we realized at the time just how much of an impact that was going to have on our lives. It is safe to say that that has changed the entire trajectory of everything. Everything from where we called home for a while, and I'll tell you about that in just a second, to um, the fact that we've adopted our wonderful, beautiful daughter from China, to the makeup of our family. It's affected everything. And so there's a small plug for global teams. As you have the opportunity to go, please do it, because God can unlock something in your heart uh, that you didn't even know was there. I didn't grow up having a heart necessarily for China, but I say it that way. God unlocked something that was deep down in my heart and in my wife's heart. The first trip led to many more trips and eventually uh, led to us serving as missionaries in China for seven years of our lives from about 2008 to 2015. And uh, you've been talking about China and there's a project that you're working on and uh, we were about two hours uh, from where that project is. And it's a, uh, what's going on there right now is absolutely fantastic. So get behind it with all your strength Get behind it with all your might. Um, there's some great things going on there. Um, so when we came back to the States in 2015, I think a lot of our friends and our family felt like this. You know, we got back, and especially our family, especially my mom. We'll just call it, call it what it is. She was like, Whew, they got that out of their system. You know what I mean? Like, okay, I mean, we didn't think it would be seven years, but you kind of got that out of your system. Um, but that's not how it works with calling. And I think God unlocked, like I said, something deep in our hearts. And so we like to say it this way. We left China, but China never really left us. And since coming back to the States, our passion to reach Chinese has only grown. And that led to us exploring uh, ways to reach Chinese right here in Minnesota. And one huge need we discovered is at the University of Minnesota. Uh, where I'm not sure if you're aware of this, but every year over 3,000 international students from China alone come to study at the University of Minnesota. And they come here and they call this place home for a season. For some it's two years, three years, four years, but it's home for a season. And listen, they come with immense pressure uh, to succeed, pressure from their families. They come into what's increasingly a hostile environment to some degree because, you know, our uh, governments are, are not um, at the, in the best of relationships. Let's call it that. Let's just call it that. Um, but they come with all this pressure, and they come with problems, and they come with needs, and many of them come without the slightest idea what it means to be a Christian. They come and then they go, and we have a small window of opportunity it's small, but we can make a huge impact in their lives. And we're ready and we're so excited to see what God is going to do. Um, so our personal circumstances have told us that we need to go into this full time. We need to be giving everything to this because there's a small window of opportunity, like I said, um, to do this. Um, 
but I think our person personally that's where we are but also the world is a different place right now a lot of our people that we have going out to different nations in the world they're having trouble getting back in and so we feel like there's a strategic place for us to play and a strategic part for us to play in what God wants to do with the Chinese and it's with the Chinese that have come to us and so we're going to take that opportunity personally for ourselves um, I have been serving in a role my wife and I have been serving as Chi Alpha campus missionaries on the University of Minnesota campus with a specific focus on Chinese international students. Now, I've been doing that part-time over the last two years because I've also been serving uh, at a church as a global missions pastor. Um, but as of this month, as of March 27th, we're no longer going to be on staff at the church. We're going all in because we feel like it's time. We feel like we can't delay anymore and we have to obey and we have to move forward with this. So we're so excited about it. Um, Really, we want to focus our ministry on two things, and that is, uh, the first is outdoor adventures. Um, and we love to take students hiking. Last, two weeks ago, we took students ice fishing. Yep, we did it, we did it. And uh, they just were like, and so one girl especially was kind of funny. We got there and, you know, standing around the hall there, and, and uh, she said, she kind of whispered to me because she didn't want to, to want to offend the person who was teaching us what to do. And she said, um, so now we just wait? And I was like, yep, that's what it is. And she, and she said, I'm going to go ice skating. And she left and went back over to where there was some ice skating going on. But um, you know, so we love to take students outdoor and experience Minnesota. A lot of them come here and they're a little disappointed with their experience. So we want to give them a full and awesome experience. Um, an outdoor adventure is sort of uh, an on-ramp for them. It's what we use as our on-ramp. And those events just open the door to build relationship. And those relationships then give God the opportunity to accomplish what we're really after, and that is a spiritual awakening among Chinese students. That's what we're after. Yes, we do the outdoor stuff. Yes, we have students over to our house for dinner. But you know what? What we want to see is a next generation of Chinese leaders because the students that come here to study, they are going to go back and be leaders. We want to see them head back to China with hearts and minds transformed by the power of Jesus. And let me tell you, for my wife and me and for my daughter, Gilly, that's what gets us up in the morning. And so we're so excited um, to, uh, to have this role and to be stepping out into this ministry. And, and uh, I appreciate you allowing me to come and share a little bit about that with you, just to let you know what we're doing. I appreciate um, the support that we receive from you prayerfully, and, and, and we're just so thankful that we can have partnership with you. And so uh, stop by. If you have any questions about what we're doing, we have a little table. It's not anything like Steve's table, let me tell you, because he brought like a suitcase. Aaron told me he brought a suitcase of stuff. Basically, I just have some cards spread on the table. Um, and so you can come by and grab one, though. I'd love to chat with you a little bit about what we're doing and uh, see how we can connect moving forward. So thanks again for the opportunity. Thank you, Pastor Josiah, for letting me preach this morning. I want to jump right in. And before I do, though, I, I just want to say one word of prayer over the passage and over the message this morning. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for this day. Thank you that we can gather here together. God, um, by our songs and by our music, God, we've declared uh, that, that we want you here. And so, God, with you in our presence, Father, I pray that these words would not fall flat, but I pray that these words would hit hearts and that they would change us, Father. Help us, Lord, um, and we just pray for your blessing on the rest of this morning. In Jesus' name, everyone said amen. All right, has anyone else felt just a little bit, I don't know, maybe it's just my experience, but, but that the service industry, restaurants, all that other kind of stuff, is taking a little hit in COVID? Like, I, and I mean the service part of it, right? Do anybody else feel a little bit like maybe Jimmy John's isn't quite as freaky fast as they used to be? They're messing up my order, a lot of things like that. Um, the bottom line is we all know good service and bad service, right? I mean, we kind of know. 
I think of a story back in any kind of, any kind of service that we, we go and we ask somebody to do something for us and, and then they, re, they return that service to us. I remember one experience I had uh, in China uh, getting my hair cut, which it was an adventure. Let me tell you, every single time getting your hair cut in China was an adventure. But I remember going one time, especially, and I had a beard at the time, and it was a pretty full beard. And I asked the guy, I, you know, in my, in my Chinese, and uh, did my best, right? And I said, can you just cut my hair? And um, he went about his business, and I was like, he seemed a little bit nervous, but I thought, you know, it's going to be okay. It's always okay. Your hair always grows back, right? And uh, so I was sitting there. He finished up the job, spun me around. I looked in the mirror, and the dude had taken out like an inch of my beard to like cut the cut the uh, the ear off right here. So I mean, like I have beard from here down, <laughs> and then just this big white fleshy gap right in there. And then he cut the rest of the hair. And I was like, dude, there's a beard. What are you doing? And he uh, he kind of just looked at me and he was like. He, I think he was a little nervous, but he said, it looks good. It looks, I'm like, it doesn't look good. I know it doesn't look good. And then I said, dude, there was a beard. And he goes, it'll grow back in a month. And I was like, okay, thank you. I did know that. It always grows back. But we just have this idea, good service and bad service, it kind of sticks in our mind. What, right? If I asked you today, what's the best waiter experience or the worst waiter experience, you could probably pull it up pretty quickly. You'd be able to say, oh my gosh, this restaurant I went to and this, this, this. Or, wow, the service was really great over here. Fact of the matter is, uh, we know good service and we know bad service. And I would say this, when we go to a restaurant, we're not asking for the world, right? We're just asking for a few things. We're asking one, that in the context of the restaurant, so I'm not talking about the value of a person, but in the context of a restaurant, we're asking that the waiter or the server would kind of know their place. They are there to wait on the table, right? We're asking, secondly, that they would listen closely to the order. And then we're asking, third, that they would go get the order and bring it back, right? It's not, it's not all that complicated. Um, but that's what we're asking for when we talk about good service and we talk about a restaurant. Now, with restaurants and waiters in mind, and maybe that's not the best way to start a service at 11 o'clock with everybody thinking about food, I'd like us to read a passage from John chapter 13, uh, verses 1 through 5. John chapter 13, verses 1 through 5. This is a story that we all know well. It's Jesus washing the disciples' feet. It says, it was just before the Passover festival, and Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own, who were in the world, he loved them to the end. The evening meal was in progress, and the devil had already prompted Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power, and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal took off his outer clothing, and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. Now, the story begins here. Verse 4, Jesus steps down to serve. And it's beautiful, and it's completely unexpected, and it's amazing. And often, for whatever reason, we pause, the narr- we pause the narrative, we pause the story right here with Jesus kneeling and washing our feet or washing the disciples' feet. We freeze the frame with Jesus as the servant, Jesus as our servant, Jesus as my servant. And of course, we would deny that to the end. We would deny that with the full force of our words, but our actions and our prayers often betray us. There's a quote by Eugene Peterson in the book, uh, Long Obedience in the Same Direction. He says this, God presents himself to us in the history of Jesus Christ as a servant. With that before us, it is easy to assume the role of master and begin ordering him around. But God is not a servant to be called into action when we are too tired to do something ourselves. 
Paul Scherer writes scathingly of people who lobby around in the courts of the Almighty for special favors, plucking at his sleeve, pestering him with requests. God is not a buddy we occasionally ask to join us at our convenience or for our diversion. God did not become a servant so that we could order him around, but so that we could join him in redemptive life. Continue reading in the story, and I think this is interesting. In John chapter 3, a couple of other things occur, but in verse 12, it says this, When he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. You see, Jesus gets up and takes his place at the table. Now, obviously, when he went and, and washed the disciples' feet, he was setting, setting an example of a master doing servant-like things. But make no mistake, he was always the master. It begs the question, in the context of our faith journey, am I the one being served or asking to be served? Or am I the one serving? Am I the one waiting for the master at the table? Am I, in my life, am I the waiter? Or am I trying to insert myself into the place of the guest and asking for things? Now, I'm not saying we can't ask him to help us. We do that. He tells us to do that. We're, we're, we're to bring our needs to him. But I think we have to be cautious that that's not all we do, is just ask him for things. God, give me this. God, I need that. God, would you just move here? God, would you do this? God, do this. Do that. Do we ever just get up in the morning and say, God, what do you want me to do today? What do you want me to do for you today? And then listen. You know, this past year, uh, our family's been a little bit of a struggle. Not going to go into all the details. No time for that. Um, but my wife uh, has been dealing a little bit with vertigo and a little bit of dizziness and different things like that. We just can't figure out what in the world it is, right? And it's been difficult at times. And I found myself for days on end at times during this past six or seven months only praying, God, would you take this from us? God, come on. What are you doing? Would you just, come on, God. Would you just take this away? We don't, I mean, we, we're trying to do your work. Would you just take this away? And I keep reasoning with him, and I keep asking, and I keep asking. And I felt convicted at one point, and I felt like the Lord was saying this to me. He has no obligation to respond to me any more than he's already done. He's done so much for me. He has no obligation to respond to me, but... If I claim to be his follower, and if I claim to be a disciple of Christ, I'm bound and obligated to respond to him. I'm the waiter at his table. And as such, it's my singular responsibility to find out what he wants and work with all my might to get it done. Right? So, so far we're talking about in the context of our faith journey, who's the waiter? Who's the master? Who's responding to whom? And it's a question that we need to ask ourselves. Second question I think we need to ask, if we're in the proper position, if we say, oh, yeah, yeah, that's right. I'm supposed to respond to him. Just like a waiter, I said the second thing that we need is we need to find out what he wants. What does he want? What does he want from us? The author Stephen Covey wrote a book decades ago called Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. Anybody read it? It's like classic. I think any leadership book today probably rips off the seven habits in one way, <laughs> shape, or another. But one of the habits he de details is begin with the end in mind. And this habit is based on the principle that all things are created twice. One, there's a mental, a first creation. We picture it. Right? Or we draw up a plan for it. And the second creation is a physical creation. The physical one always follows the mental, just as a building follows a blueprint. And if you don't make conscious effort to visualize who you are and what you want in life, then you empower other people and circumstances to shape you and your life by default. In other words, 
If your ladder is not leaning against the right wall, every step you take gets you to the wrong place faster, right? So in Scripture, there's a vision at the end. There's a picture at the end. I'm sorry about popping those peas there. <laughs> there's a picture at the end, and it informs us of exactly what God wants. It's a picture of a destination where we should be heading. It's important to God, and therefore it should be important to us. And it's found in Revelation chapter 7, verses 9 through 11. I'm going to read it for you today. After this, I saw a vast crowd, too great to count, from every nation and tribe and people and language, standing in front of the throne and before the Lamb. They were clothed in white robes and held palm branches in their hands, and they were shouting with a great roar, Salvation comes from our God who sits on the throne and from the Lamb. And all the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living beings, and they fell before the throne with their faces to the ground and worshiped God. I saw a vast crowd, too great to count, from every nation, from every tribe and people and language. What does God want? All nations. That's what he wants. He wants all nations. He wants every tribe. He wants every tongue restored to a proper relationship with him. A beautifully diverse and fully representative worldwide worshiping community. That's what he wants. That's the picture at the end. That's the vision that we're moving towards. Everything Christianity has become about is out of line unless it is somehow bringing us toward that picture. This is a wall our ladder definitely should be leaning against. We should be taking steps towards this. It should inform our actions and our lifestyle. The interesting thing is the idea of the nations and the importance of the nations, it's not just here at the end. It's all the way through Scripture. It's all the way through Scripture. If you take a step back, anybody ever seen one of those pictures? I, I maybe... I don't know. When I was in elementary school, it was like a big deal to look at these pictures, and it was a, uh, like a blurry image. It was all pixelated and everything like that. It's called a stereogram, and if you stared at it just the right way, and you kind of like mess with your eyes, mess with your vision, all of a sudden it would be like, whoa, there's this 3D it, you know, image that pops out. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Am I speaking? Okay. Somebody else? Good, good, good. So we know what they're called. It's a stereogram, right? We're looking at it, and we're staring at it, and we're... And then all of a sudden, wow, how did I not see that before? I think the scriptures are very much like that. It's more than a collection of individual stories with no overriding theme or purpose. I believe that if we stare long enough at the scripture, and if we look at it, what we'll see is that a theme will begin to emerge, and it's this. God desires all people and all nations to be restored to a proper loving relationship with him, and he'll do whatever it takes to make it happen. You see it in the Old Testament. If you look through Scripture, you begin to see, I want them, all nations, and I'll use one nation, Israel, to give them something to look at. Then you get into the Gospels. And you see, Jesus was inserted into that missionary nation of Israel as the final culminating piece in the goal to reach the nations. He moved us into the new covenant. And here we see God once again saying, I want them, all people, all nations, and this time I'll use one man, Jesus Christ, to give everyone everywhere access to me once again. All through the Gospels, Jesus is breaking down the barrier that separates the Jews from the rest of the world, from the rest of the nations. He's saying, no, 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 you got it all wrong. It wasn't just for you. It was always and is always for the, all the nations, for everyone. In his final command, Matthew 28, the Great Commission, Jesus came and told his disciples, I've been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I've given you, and be sure of this, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. And after this command, we see there's a subtle shift again. But the message is still the same. 
the rest of the New Testament is, I want them, the nations, and this time, I'll use you, my disciples. I want the nations, but you're going to do the work. You're going to make it happen. It's in your hands now. I've empowered you. I've given you the assignment. Go, do something about it. Get us to the picture at the end. What's common throughout is that theme of the nations. So it begs the question, how are we doing? We've got to be close, right? And I know our guest last week shared a little bit about this. I'm going to share it quickly so I can um, move us into the, the uh, last part of the message here this morning. How are we doing with this nations thing? We've got to be close, right? There's probably just like maybe a few people here, a few people there that maybe haven't had a chance. In order to understand uh, how we are doing, I'm going to share some stats. But before I do that, there are a few terms that I think we need to familiarize ourselves or remind ourselves of. The first is a people group. People group is a unique and identifiable group of people distinguished by a distinct culture, language, or social class. When I lived in Yunnan province in China, there were 27 different people groups there. There's 17,000 different people groups in the world. Now, an unreached people group is one that lacks a community of Christians able to evangelize the rest without outside help. Generally, it means that less than 2% of the people is considered to be Christian, even if that many. They have no churches, often only limited portions of scripture in their language. The only opportunity for the people group to hear about salvation is through external witness, with, with that definition and those kind of thoughts in mind, here are the numbers to chew on. Unreached people groups, that's less than 2% Christian, no access to the gospel, 42.2% of the world's population. That's 3 billion people. Now think about some of these, too. Out of 4 million full-time Christian workers, 96% are working within the Christian world, not among the unreached nations not among those 42%. It's estimated that out of $7 trillion that evangelical Christians make annually, $450 million is spent on missions to unreached people groups. A side note of that is that Americans spend twice as much as that on Halloween costumes for our pets. It's true. The church has 3,000 times the financial resources and 9,000 times the manpower needed, man and woman power needed. But still, here we are, 42% unreached. I like to think of it like trick-or-treat time, right? It's Halloween. You got 10 kids that come up to your door, and they're all adorable. They're all looking awesome. Costumes, dressed up, everything. It's fantastic. And you go, hey, you six over here. You stand over here. You four, go behind that tree a little bit, okay? And then you start digging in, and you start filling these bags over and over again. And then you say, hey, we got Chick-fil-A. We're going to put those Chick-fil-A things in here. We got gift cards. We're throwing them in here. And these four over here are saying, what about us? What about us? And you say, we'll get to you. We'll get to you. We got good stuff going on here. It's fun over here. We're having a party, right? And we're filling bags all the time, and we never get to those other four kids. Now, you think if you went up to somebody's house, you would be like, this is wrong. <laughs> Something is wrong here. What is going on? This is not right. We would never do it with our kids, so why do we let it happen? Fact of the matter is we read the scriptures. We know about the plan from the beginning. We know the picture at the end. We know what we're supposed to be working towards. We hear the stats, yet we still hesitate. We stay put. And there are any number of reasons why. And to be honest, they're reasonable sounding objections. I'm going to cover two of them, and then we're going to close. The first objection we raise to this, we say, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. But there are plenty of lost people right here. Plenty of lost people, plenty of people that don't know Jesus right here. And I would say you're 100% correct. But the fact of the matter is that there are lost people everywhere, right? But this is 
the difference between lost people and lost peoples. It's here we have to draw that distinction because this is not just a matter of lostness. This is an issue of access to the gospel. It's not just lostness, it's access to the gospel. Now, I live in Bloomington, right, in Minnesota, uh, obviously. I live in Bloomington. There's plenty of non-believers, but most of those non-believers are within striking distance of the 393 evangelical Protestant churches in Hennepin County. And chances are there's a solid Bible-believing Christian within a within a few blocks of every neighborhood in the city. Contrast that with what we just heard about billions of people in the world without a church, without a Bible in their language. They don't have a Christ follower within 50 miles who can actually even begin to share with them the message. John Piper had a quote years ago. He said this, and I think it sums up this pretty well. The unique missionary task of the church is not to win as many individuals to Christ as possible before the end comes, but to win some individuals, in other words, plant a church, among all the peoples of the earth before the end. The unique missionary question is not where are there unbelievers, because there are unbelievers everywhere. The unique missionary question is, where are there no believers? That's where we have to focus. We have to begin focusing that. The second objection I think that we raise often, and it's, and it's this. Okay, I'll give you the fact that, that it's lost people, lost people. Okay, I'll give you that, but I'm not called to global missions. And I would say, again, you're probably 100% correct because none of us are. Actually, we're called to Jesus. But he makes it pretty clear that if we're following him, there are two things that should be of utmost concern to us, our neighbors and the nations. Neighbors, nations. It's not an either or. We don't get to choose one or the other. In the Gospel of Matthew, there are two very critical portions of teaching from Jesus, the Great Commandments and the Great Commission. I'm going to read them quickly to you. Matthew 22 Jesus replied to the uh, religious leaders who are asking him, what's the greatest commandment? And he said, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. A second is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. The entire law and all the demands of the prophets are based on these two commandments. Okay. Neighbor. Pretty important. Important that we love our neighbors, right? Second scripture. I just read it before, Matthew 28, 19. Jesus came and told his disciples, I've been given all authority in heaven and earth. Therefore, go and make disciples of all the nations. You, my disciples, go and make other disciples in all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I've given you, and be sure of this, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. Neighbors, nations. We cannot do one to the exclusion of the other. There's a tension to manage between these two things. I hope that if you don't get anything else this morning, that you understand that we need to be doing both and. We need to care about our neighbors, but we can't do it to the exclusion of the nations. We have to have one eye over here and one eye over here, and we need to be working towards both. In fact, I'm not convinced that we need a special call to the nations. It's not a concern reserved for a few. Your calling to your neighbor and your calling to the nations came the minute you became a disciple. Both of them. The minute you said, Jesus, I'm yours, I'm serving you, a calling was placed on your life to your neighbor. Because, to be fair, nobody else knows your neighbor like you. Nobody else can connect to them in the unique way that you, I can't, your pastor can't. You can. So when you said you're a follower of Jesus, that's the first thing. You're called to your neighbor. But as disciples of Jesus, we're also commanded in Jesus' final words and his final commission to us is, go, make disciples of all nations. 
We have to care about both. They're both a part of the call to be a disciple. Now listen, we started this morning talking about what makes a good server, what makes a good servant. We need to know our place in the narrative. We're not the master. And at least once a day, we need to say, hey, what do you want? What do you want from me? What do you want me to do? We know some of it. We know the big picture of it. but We don't know how that fleshes out for us. And that's what we're asking him. What do you want me to do? The second thing is we need to listen when he tells us. And then we need to bring him what he wants. We need to work and do whatever it takes. Spend our lives to bring it to him. And I'm sorry I've ruined things for you, but knowing is not enough. You've heard it a lot. You've heard it again today. But knowing is not enough. Now you know, and knowing brings responsibility. And responsibility requires a response. We have to respond. Listen, we live in crazy times. It's urgent that we begin to do what the master wants. We can't delay. We don't have the luxury of time. You know, specifically, there's a, there's a young couple um, that are students at the University of Minnesota here, and over the last year, we've started to kind of connect with them a little bit. They've been to our house for dinner, and we were just at, they were at that ice fishing event the other day, and uh, as we were talking, I didn't know all of their plans, but I said, okay, so what's the summer look like? And they're like, hey, we're going back to Beijing. We're going back in May. And it's like my heart dropped. Like, I don't have time. I need to do something for them while I can. Time is short, both for our neighbors and for the nations. There's an urgency. I don't know if you sense it, but in our world, there's an urgency to do something to bring things to pass for the Lord. And we can't delay. Last scripture I'll read as we um, hear some music come and we're going to just have a time of response here. Last scripture is Acts 16, verses 9 through 10. And this is Paul. During the night, Paul had a vision of a man of Macedonia standing and begging him, come over to Macedonia and help us. After Paul had seen the vision, we got ready at once to leave for Macedonia concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. What I love about this story is that there's awareness that comes. Oh, oh, I understand. There's a man of, there's, there's people in Macedonia that need me to go to them. There's awareness, there's knowledge of the need. But what I love about this story is that it says, at once we prepared to go. There was no hesitation. At once we responded. We made our way to where the need was. And that's my challenge for you today as we close. Look, there's a lot of different ways that you can be involved in missions. There's a lot of different ways that you can respond. My challenge to you today is that you would respond at once. Listen, I know there are some people in this room that God has been working on you for the last year and a half. And he's saying, I want you to go. I placed a people group on your heart. I placed things in your life. And I want you to go. You're being challenged to that. I want to encourage you today. Talk to me. Talk to your pastor. There's ways for your pastor and your church to walk alongside of you in that call. Don't delay. Talk to him today. At once. Now, you might say, oh, that's not me. I can't go right now. Like my family situation, there's no way I can go right now. Don't believe the lie that because I can't do this one thing, I can't do anything. It's not true. There's so many ways that you can respond to this. Don't you dare disqualify yourselves for work to the nations, to reach the nations. If this is not your season to go, guess what? Give. You've got missionaries. You've got teams that are heading out, students that want to go and serve. Give. 
And you might say, ah, times are tight. I get it. If you don't have the margin to give right now, then guess what? Welcome. Because the nations have come to us. The nations have come to us. I'm, I'm not going to China right now because there's a ton of Chinese that have come here. So how can I work to welcome them? Bring them into my home. Start a friendship. Start a relationship with them. Can't welcome. And again, these, the excuses are going to get thinner and thinner as we go down here. <laughs> you can't welcome somebody. Ah, my home's not good enough. I don't know. It's not big enough. I don't, we're not really good with people and whatever. Okay. Guess what you can do? If you can't welcome, then send. Encourage a missionary. Send a young person on a trip. Encourage with your words. Send a letter to a missionary. Send an email. Sign up for a newsletter. Just get that into your system. And if you can't send well, then guess what you can do? You can pray. Don't you tell me you can't pray. Every one of us in this room can do something to bring the master what he wants. So with the posture of a servant, the knowledge, at least generally, of what the master wants, let's get it done. Would you close your eyes with me this morning? I want to take just a minute before uh, pastor comes up to close in prayer. I want you to meditate on this, and I want you to say, what is your at-once response today? Take just a minute, and pastor will come and close. It's so important that we always stop and take time like this. We say, God, what, what is it that you want me to do? I love that idea of the server, the waiter, and just this, what do you want? that we need to be doing that. John, thank you so much. Your heart is so obvious. Uh, so obviously there for, for just the lost and for lost, not just people, but lost peoples. I want to reiterate a little bit of what he said at the end here. If you feel like God is maybe calling you to go, that, that might be something, or you aren't really sure what that means. God's calling you to something, to a greater focus on this in your life. We would love to have that conversation. You can just simply write called on a connect card and drop that in the box. You can actually text the word called to 77222. That, that's kind of our, our church one that we have, and we have this set up for people to be able to text that in because we want to get together and have a conversation. This month, we're having a focus on what we can do financially. And I, I shared the entire story last week. I'm going to do a quick synopsis of it. Essentially, we have missionaries that are um, over in China and they have a business. And they have an open door into a village about two hours away. And this village, the language that they speak there has nothing. They have no scripture. That language has no believers. Like, God created this language and he has never been worshipped in it. And they have an open door to go in and work with this village and be able to start... Uh, I'm trying to not share too much information here because I want us to be able to post this online. Um, and so again, if you, if you want to hear the story more afterwards, I'd love to. But they, they have a massive open door with government approval to basically come in and be doing something for the village that is then going to allow them to be translating scripture into that language. Like they, this is an insane opportunity. And they have a need and we are, we are giving to that need this month. <clears throat> it's what we're doing. We, we took an offering last week. I also just challenged you and said, hey, be praying about it. Um, we're going to have the ushers just at the door as you leave with buckets. So if you have been praying about it this week and you want to give and you want to write that check or you want to do that physically today, you can just drop it in there. Um, but we want to we be making a difference here. We want to be doing this. I also love John's idea of just welcoming people here. I shared this with uh, the youth a few weeks ago, actually in Sock Center. And I was looking at the countries where it is the hardest to follow Jesus. And they have the top 50 countries for 2022 where it's the hardest. 
The third most difficult country to follow Jesus in right now is Somalia. That means if somehow they hear about Jesus and if they make a decision to follow him, the persecution is going to be crazy and it might cost them their life. And that's how it is around the world. I was listening to a guy this week and he's sharing his story of being in Turkey and they're there and this woman gets a phone call and she just turns white and she begins to cry and other ladies come around her and they're praying for her and afterwards he's like, what's going on? She said, well, I just found out that I have been targeted to be killed. I've been given a green light for people to kill me because I'm a believer. And my kids have been given a green light to be killed. And my husband has been given a green light to be killed. And I can't go to the authority because I'll be in trouble there. Like, you just have nothing. You're, you're left in this spot of just praying. And, and y'all know what's crazy in these moments? I never hear of them praying, God, keep me safe. It's God, help me stand strong. Help me not bend. And I, I am so challenged by that. And I love this idea that, like, Somalia is one of the hardest places to follow Jesus. Well, guess what? He has sent them to us. And I love that. I absolutely love that we have a mission field coming to us. You want to know what absolutely grieves my heart? Is when I hear Christians persecuting them here because of stupid cultural things that we don't understand. God has brought them to us. In his infinite grace, he has brought the mission field to us. We can do something about that. And to be praying. We have sheets out there. We have our missionaries. Every month, we're going to be giving you new sheets with four of our missionaries. We want you to be keeping those, praying over them. All right, and this is just huge for us. And I cannot get over the fact that we spend twice as much on Halloween costumes for our pets. Like, did that just hit you? <laughs> it's amazing. This is God's heartbeat. It needs to be ours. That's how this is. It's God's heartbeat. It has been from the beginning, all the way through scripture. We better not try and change that and morph that. It needs to be ours. So here's what I want to do. I want to close in prayer. I want us to respond in some way. This week, I want us praying. I want us to figure out how we can be giving. That might look different for all of us. I realize times can be hard, but we can do something. We can do something. God, I pray right now that you would just put a burden on our hearts. God, a burden that would not let up. That we would, we would hear this information, we would be learning this, and we would never be able to unlearn what we have learned. That this would stick with us, that we would know that there are people around the world that they don't even have an opportunity to hear about you. There's, there's no hope if we don't do something. So God, forgive us for the so many times that we have chosen not to do something. We have chosen to squander what you've given us on ourselves. God, and I pray that you would just stir our hearts, that we would, we would feel so just moved to do something. Part of me wants to say not out of guilt, but the reality is, God, if we need to feel guilt because of how we're living, then, Lord, whatever it is that's, that's going to move us to actually do something here, God, I just ask that that would happen. Lord, and that we would respond appropriately with our lives, with everything. Jesus, we ask this in your name. Amen.